0: So uh, joining us on a very special episode of Bald Move TV is my girlfriend slash Paramore Cecily.
1: Girlfriend slash Paramore. Yeah, you killed my
0: you killed my Paramore uh, with a knife, which is going to be (laughs) the subject of uh, HBO season two jinx. And also via remote uh, Shane Bowman. Uh, You might recall that we had a lengthy discussion of the Nick uh, he's also frequently found on the Nattercast and uh, running the Heisenberg Chronicles, which is uh, your one-stop shop for all the little bits, brick and brack of uh, Breaking Bad that you've missed over the, the seasons and years.
2: Welcome and to Better the show. Call
0: Saul. And Better Call Saul. Yes. Is that still the Heisenberg right. Chronicles or did you call it the... Uh...
2: No, no. I just kept it the same name. I mean, I, I got like 36,000 followers or something over there. I just kept the same name and just pushing out... You know, all kinds of Jimmy McGill and Mike Ehrman goodness.
0: Awesome. So we're here to talk about uh, Banshee, which recently wrapped up its third season on Cinemax uh, this last Friday. Uh, I think before we start talking about the season proper, we should talk about why in the hell people would want to watch Banshee.
1: I think it'd be easier to list the reasons why you wouldn't want to watch Banshee. <laughs> right.
0: Because, I mean, there's a lot of stigma, you know, it's like a lot of Cinemax. And I, I know that they got the Nick now and, and they've got, uh, well, Banshee. But, you know, they've never been known for, yeah. like, super high quality original content. Um, and I got to say that Banshee is hard for me to... to like, I try, to, I, I, I struggle with this with my partner, Jim. It's impossible to sell someone on it if you describe it at all because they they will start either rolling their eyes or <laughs> laughing and not take you seriously.
1: Yeah, and I think I felt the same way when I heard
0: about it. How would you describe Banshee Shane? Yeah, it it is a very difficult
2: show to describe. You know, I I kept throwing chum into some of the various TV groups out there saying, "Please, God, is anybody watching this show? Uh, I need to talk about it." And um the, the best way I could describe it that I came up with was just said it's uh, it's fighting, fucking, and fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I mean, it, that's about as simple as it gets. You know, the guy who created the show, uh, Jonathan Tropper, he describes it as like a homage to 80s action flicks. Oh. Um, the guy who played uh, Chayton uh, described it as a live action comic you know oh, i mean yeah. i mean it really is kind of over the top and fun and uh, but it's very difficult to describe uh i was look going back and reading some old reviews of season 1 which there were very few and Stephen described it like this he said Banshee is among the dumbest most ridiculous lurid disgusting shows on all of television and that's part of its charm,
1: <laughs>
2: you know, which is, uh, you know, he goes on to talk about how it just keeps getting crazier and sillier and more violent and uh, it continuously kind of one ups himself, uh, one ups itself all the every season. And that, that I think is what keeps you coming back is how surprising um, how many different kind of zigzags, it does and uh, throws you curveballs all the time that kind of keeps you on your toes. And I just think it's fun. Um, you know, a lot of fun to watch. I don't have to really think that hard, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, any kind of <laughs> amazing insight into humanity. I'm just <laughs> looking to turn off, you know, I mean, yeah. it was, it was um, Mo Ryan a few weeks ago said, this is my, my hotel show. Mm. Which is kind of a great way to describe it. That is a good way to
1: describe it. My first experience with Banshee is I just knew it peripherally when it was first starting. It was hyped up a lot. Mm -hmm. So I, whenever I was just browsing for something to watch, I would see Banshee was on and just tune into whatever episode. And I think Mm -hmm. the first episode that I watched was the one where Carrie is having uh, a bath and decides that she wants to have sex with her husband. So she just... Jumps out of the bath, opens up the bathroom door. She's standing there completely naked and dripping wet, and they just start going to town. And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I guess." The
0: Cinemax, I know one. <laughs> I guess I'm on the hook. I'll have to watch the whole thing. Yeah, my first experience was I tuned into the episode where Hood is dropping Carrie off at her stint at the penitentiary, mm. and simultaneously, Siobhan. Uh, was reunited with her abusive ex-husband mm. and it intercuts these scenes of hood dropping her off and siobhan kicking this guy's ass and they siobhan and carrie uh on first glance look enough alike that i was like am i seeing why she went to prison mm-hmm. like this woman is is a vicious vicious killer um and mm. i you know it is very hard to describe, but I think what is cool is not only is the fucking and the fighting and the fun really awesome, but it's done with um, a very high degree of artistry mm-hmm. and with a lot of emphasis on why it's happening. Like, what is the emotion? Why, you know, a lot of times uh, you can kind of get into the savagery because, you know, uh, like when Hood is kicking someone's ass, it's usually a very righteous ass kicking. hmm and um it's always fun like um and and i like it because the women get to kick as much ass
1: Mm -hmm. and they get their asses kicked just as much as everyone else
0: like that's the thing like sometimes when i'm seeing one of these females just get a brutal beating it gives me pause i'm like well you know if the the shoe was on the other foot it would be just as bad if not worse and they're able to take it as you know as much as the men can Yeah. yeah so it's
1: not just uh it's not just mind numbing television, even though it can be. I get I got really invested in the characters and mm-hmm. the the drama's really good and I just mm-hmm. care about the storylines as well.
0: And you've got this like this interesting, you know, perfect storm of different cultures coming together. You've got uh, you know, this small town general populace that's neighboring on a large Amish community. Mm-hmm. That's na- that that is har- that is harboring or uh, an individual has come out of it. It's a, a disgraced, uh, a disfellowshipped, excommunicated former uh, Amish person named Kai Proctor, who's kind of like the local gangster. He's an, it's like a re- it's well, I almost had real life Amish mafia, but what that's like an oxymoron. <laughs> it's 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 a it's probably a more realistic version of a- Amish mafia. And then you've also got an Indian reservation. Thrown in for good measure, and the show gets a lot of mileage out of how those groups kind of intermix and, and mingle.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and then you got the Russian mafia. I mean, it really does start to sound ludicrous when it you, does. when you describe it. I mean, I remember the first time I tried to describe it to my wife, and I just couldn't say it with a straight face. <laughs> and,
0: um, you get, and you've got a gay transvestite man who kicks ass, and, and it's an is an incredible
1: computer. Hacker. Is the
0: best computer hacker in the world, and you've got mm-hmm. a retired boxer. Uh, old boxer Sugar, who runs a bar and is dispensing, you know, liquor and wisdom and beatings, uh, as the as, as he's called on to do. Mm-hmm. It does. It's like yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, well, we just spent five minutes describing it. and We've gone back to this is a ridiculous show, <laughs> but it's not. It's not.
2: It no, is. No, but I mean, your point, Cecily, about the uh, character development, I think, is where it really succeeds. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the the plot just keeps going more and more nutso as does the you know the action and the violence and the sex and all that stuff but at the core it's um amazingly well done character drama Mm -hmm. you know and that's what that's what keeps it all together you know I mean we were talking before we started recording about just how many characters there are this is you know truly there's not that much there's not that many ensemble, truly ensemble pieces out there, and this one is. I mean, as much as Hood is central, frankly, I could care less about Hood. Sure. Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm either invested in the bad guy of the season, or the bad guys of the season, or bad gals of the season, mm-hmm. or you know, it, they, they keep turning the levers on all these secondary characters, whether it's Brock, or Job, or Carrie, and, uh, and they're all Kind of compelling. I mean, I mean, you know, thank God David's thread isn't, you know, it's pretty thin, you know, because I think that's one of the weaker secondary characters, you okay. know, who carries a uh, bastard daughter, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know what, what do you call a bastard? That's a girl. It's still a
0: bastard. I think it's a sand sand snake.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, but you know, these secondary characters, they use them to very interesting and compelling effect to bend the story. I mean, I was really sad to see... Wait a minute. Are we spoiler-free here or not? Yeah, I
0: mean, if you haven't... From this point forward, if you haven't seen Banshee or uh, Jinx, the Robert uh, Durst story, then you you better switch off and, and watch... Uh, both Watch them immediately, obviously, yes. and then switch All right on. fifty hours of content you got to get
2: it on <laughs> your belt. That's right. Well, I mean, you know, Siobhan—they developed uh, very well in season two, and you know, uh, Hood's uh, partner on the force there. And uh, season three, I didn't really expect to become as invested in her as I did. You know, it was um, these are the kind of surprises I think that the show kind of catches me off guard with.
0: And that's I I almost want to say that it's it's that was the high point of the season, that mm-hmm. episode, although you can make an argument for the first person heist. I myself wasn't a fan uh of the finale. I mean it was fine. It just mm-hmm. didn't I feel like uh the, the show climaxed an episode or two before that. Right. But it was a genuinely shocking moment um when she got killed. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where like, oh my God, you know, this, the, what I, where I thought the show was going is different and kind of one of those things where now suddenly I'm afraid for Job and I'm afraid for Carrie and I'm afraid for Sugar because Siobhan was made out to be one of those like, you know, main tier top level characters. And as soon as they kind of got her polished up and her and Hood heading into a kind of happy direction, Mm -hmm. it was time for her to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, she... Sealed her own fate by agreeing to learn his real name.
0: Mm. Yeah,
2: you knew the minute she he he told her that mm. that that she was a done, she was a goner. But
0: I'm yeah, so I mean, she... you really never
2: know with this show, though, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the that's the thing that I think is so surprising is I mean, just two episodes before that, they they killed Nola, and I I thought Nola was going to be you know secondary big
0: bad for the season, sure. Uh, That
1: was an incredible fight scene. I was going to say,
0: what is your guys' vote for best fight scene this this season? Because that was mine.
1: Yeah, that one's got me
2: too. Yeah, that whole episode was unbelievable. And that was episode three, Uh right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That one I just didn't see coming. And, you know, I was... uh, reading an interview with uh, Tropper, one of these, uh, you know, let's look back and talk about the seasons. And he made a great point that I'd never really uh, acknowledged. uh, I I think consciously is that he was talking about how um, in a, in a given episode, you know, things usually follow an arc to where they build and climax at the end. But that Nola Burton scene was 15 minutes into the episode, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not expecting this kind of uh, intensity, that soon in an episode and then they try and top it with that ridiculous um uh 18 uh, wheeler uh sequence you know right. with a big kid <laughs> mm-hmm. that really big guy i think his name was brantley mm-hmm. uh you know and 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 um they're that 18 wheeler's never stopping it just keeps going and going and the guy keeps uh I don't know. That was just an insane episode to try and really talk about everything that even happens in that whole episode would be a podcast on its own. Right. Sure. You know, uh, but um, huh? that that episode to me is hands down the best episode of Banshee.
0: Hmm. What did you think of the first person, uh, all handy cam, all found footage? Well, I mean, the whole episode wasn't, mm-hmm. um, but a, a good chunk of it was the assault on the army base. Camp Genoa. Camp Genoa. What do you think of that, Shane? The the assault or the heist the I the, guess the heist yeah the heist yeah, the,
2: the, the GoPro heist yes I, you know I I I didn't love it as much as uh, a lot of the. Uh, folks out there in the interwebs did i thought it was very clever and somewhat novel but it's not like we haven't seen sequences like that before or maybe i guess i have and so it didn't really you know blow me away but it did give stowe probably his baddest ass moment of the season you know where he pulls his little terminator move in the tunnel after being you know kind of Mm semi-blown up that was pretty incredible and it was
1: very tense for me i think it it worked when they were kind of just sneaking around behind trucks Mm -hmm. and there's people coming out of doors. And
0: yeah, I thought it, it built attention. Um, Mm. it was a device that made it more, more tense because you're really kind of in the moment. And especially like when Job was left alone because hood was having his little freak out moment, seeing Mm -hmm. dead Siobhan walking everywhere. Uh, That was just, again, really visceral because I was coming off an episode where I was just afraid to death that Job was going to die uh, this whole last season. Like, I think Job is probably my favorite character right now. Mm -hmm. Although, Job without sugar, I mean, it's like one of those things where he really needs sugar to make himself the the best character. But, uh, and then, of course, you know, him being abducted at the end of the season, my anxiety is kind of through the roof now.
2: Yeah, I'm. Absolutely curious about where they're going to take that whole storyline. I mean, they really sucked me in as far as setting up for season four with Job. But, you know, Job is a character, again, is kind of the reinforcement point I was making earlier. In season one and two, you know, he was great for those sort of comedic effect moments. You know, he comes in and he spouts some line, you know, don't look at me like that motherfucker. You know, he just yeah. got these great little motherfucker quips, uh-huh. you know, uh, uh, throughout season one and two. But in three, uh, he was – I don't know why he became that much more important to me. Um, I, I i don't think it was the flashbacks. I mean, what would you guys think of the flashbacks this season?
0: I liked the most of them. I'm my, the jury is still very much out about this latest plot of, uh, you know, Lucas being essentially a born identity candidate. Mm-hmm. It explains a lot, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, I feel like um this guy has lived like 10, ten different lifetimes <laughs> and it's like starting to bend my chronological noodle like okay how old were you here you spent 15 years in jail mm-hmm. like i don't know that you've had enough life experience to be as badass as you are
2: yeah like, they, they they get they go a little fast and loose with but this.
0: you kind of have to switch a little bit of your brain off i guess that's what the thing that i don't like is that I, I, I've i always appreciated that Banshee is that it delivered the, you know, kind of pulse-pounding thrills and the tits and ass and the mm. hardcore ultra-violence, but it didn't invite you to turn your brain off either. Mm.
1: So if I understand it correctly, uh, Lucas Hood was tortured for a couple of years and kind of brainwashed into joining Rabbits um, gang, and that's how that started. And then... He got hooked up with Carrie, and then he sent him to jail for 15 years.
0: I don't know that Rabbit is connected with the whatever shadowy organization.
1: Right, but I'm saying the shadowy organization placed Lucas in Rabbit's camp.
0: Oh. That
1: was my takeaway. I don't know.
2: I didn't read it like that.
0: How did you read
1: it? When did that torture thing happen?
0: Pre-Rabbit.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I don't know how he... I mean, again, we don't know enough to know how he went from there to his rabbit days, mm-hmm. but, and that's where it's like, you know, my, my biggest problem is I just don't, I don't know if the current, chronolo- the chronology works out, mm. but you know, it, it is what it is. Um,
2: well, cause you're right by, by the, the timeline of the show, I think hood should be like 45,
0: <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> you know, but that like, like it's, you know, I, I don't know, you know, there's a fair amount of any kind of show that you have to, turn your brain off a little bit you have to kind of i don't want to say that it would say you have to give yourself emotionally to the show sure. and um and kind of just buy into it and that you know there are some shows where you can there's enough uh, connection to it where you can like for me i can't do that with house of cards hmm. like hmm. everything about house of cards seems Utterly ridiculous to me, and mm-hmm. I just can't turn my brain off and, and and give myself over to the story, and and get sucked in by it. Yeah. But this show, I, I, two minutes in, I'm sucked in every single time. Yeah. And a lot of people who I know who have tried Banshee and don't like it are usually those people who can't. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people uh, love Sons of Anarchy, but I. I i i watched one there was one season that was really good and then the rest of it i was just like this is insanely stupid yeah and uh you know uh, it did some great things but man oh man i just couldn't give myself to those stories and those characters like i can with banshee
0: yeah it was you yeah, know i always feel like i'm fighting a little bit of war on in that regard in that like uh like the uh when the uh the Indian tribe led by Chatham, I guess they would be the the renegade Indian tribe. When they assaulted the police station, mm-hmm. the, like halfway through, I'm like, this is losing me. Like these guys are stuck in here and nobody's cell phone works because of some stupid reason. And, you know, the, it's, it just started getting kind of unbelievable, but then it got awesome. And, and also we picked up this neo-Nazi who's going to be a police recruit now. And like, this is, like, this is just all a bit too much. But then mm-hmm. it somehow finds a way to warp around and be so awesome. Uh, like, you know, that, that's the episode that led up to the the, the shocking death of Siobhan. Uh, and such an emotional gut punch that it's like, okay, all is forgiven, Banshee. <laughs> I'm sorry I ever doubted you. And then there's this, you know, like I said, there's some just staggeringly beautiful shots. Like, that whole fight between, uh, shoot, I forget, uh, Kai Proctor's henchman. Burton. Burton Burton. and the... uh, Nola. Nola. Um, The way they shot that with the camera kind of swooping in and out and around the car and then Mm -hmm. outside the car. And you can see like, you know, them rumbling inside there. And then I don't know if it was this season or if it was last season when Hood took Carrie back to the house that he planned for them to retire to. And there was that that standoff between the female sniper that was out in the grass and mm-hmm. like hood and Carrie, are, and they're all crawled in the grass and there's this big crane shot from above and you can see them kind of like lions in the Serengeti stack stacking <laughs> each other. That was just that an was, amazing. That shot. was season two. Oh, it was season two. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. just such an amazing shot and something I've never seen before ever. Yeah. Uh, and Banshee's full of those moments that, like you said, keep pulling, pulling us back in.
2: Well, you know, the uh, uh, this season was done by three directors, uh, which I, I think is kind of impressive. Uh, oh, excuse me, four directors, and they they did this thing where they uh, a lot of show a lot more shows are doing this where they give a director two episodes mm. at a time, mm-hmm. and so you know you'll have one one director for two episodes, another director for two episodes, and I think it creates a bit of continuity uh, in a show uh, that. Um, has kind of a revolving um, series of creators mm-hmm. involved in and in a kind of a huge cast it 's got to be an enormous difficulty to kind of create a, a consistency in it and i didn 't as as many high points as there are in this show you know with these big action sequences or set pieces it still feels incredibly coherent consistent, and of a whole um and well, they have that- a lot
0: of like visual motifs that kind of tie this together. Like there's this mm-hmm. they they just randomly drop frames uh, out of like you know transition scenes, like someone getting out of their car and walking to the office. They will cut you know uh, uh, you know a second or two, of, uh, so they kind mm-hmm. of like flash here and flash there. And they do a lot like.
1: like how do you feel about the? This device they use frequently, where s- multiple scenarios play out one out right after the other. Um, like, for instance, uh, there's this one scene with Rebecca in a car. And she's like screaming and she's frustrated, and then it resets. And it's how she actually reacted, and then resets. Yeah, they, it. They've got you know this, what I'm They've got about?
0: the cinematic shorthand where it's yeah. like, we're going to show you how this person's feeling, and they're like screaming and raging or tearing stuff apart. And then they're going to flash back to sitting calmly behind her car. And then, you know, they usually do a lot of audio and visual distortions. Mm-hmm. And I that's one of the, the Banshee signature motifs where I feel like that a lot of, I've seen other shows do that and it always feels like very showy or hokey. Mm-hmm. But here, um, maybe because this is a more primal show, but when they do that kind of stuff, I feel like, oh yeah, I I, I know that feel. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never had a loved one murdered, like had their head ripped off in front of my face and, you know, then had to chase them through the woods and, and beat them to death my bare hands. But I've, I've, I've felt it. You know that. I felt yeah. a degree of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah well i i think um i think they're walking a bit of a tightrope um emotionally on this show and they have to allow the characters to emote in an unnatural way right mm-hmm. and so i i think that just um mm-hmm. i think that kind of heightens so i mean it is kind of comic booky in a way and uh kind of hyper-real, and. Uh, Uh, all of their characters seem to express um, whether it's the high end or low end of their emotional uh, spectrum express in a, I find it to be a very real, even though it's hyper real, it's more real to me. It isn't fake. Um, I don't know. That's uh, I I really struggle articulating on this show sometimes because um, I do have very visceral reaction to some of it. And, um, I think that's kind of the point. It's that's fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, Hey, let, speaking of visceral reaction, can we just, can I just say it? best looking women on TV are on this show?
0: Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, that's a pretty, pretty fair assessment.
2: Mm-hmm. So Cecily, the men, can you, can you say, Best-looking men on TV. I mean, I don't know Lucas Hood. That dent in his
1: forehead—it's <laughs> it, a dent that gets me. uh no, the the entire cast is beautiful. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you got Lucas. Uh, you know, Job. I think if uh, if you're looking for a particular flavor, is a, is a pretty good flavor.
1: I have a kind of weirdo crush on Burton.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the glasses.
1: It yes. Let's <laughs> go with that. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah that's it's one of the things where it's like, there are some things that are bothering me about Banshee, like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing about Kai Proctor and his niece, Rebecca. That relationship just really skeeves me out I, at I all would, times. I
1: wish I could get a grip on their relationship, but I can't, because they constantly undermine it themselves. Yeah. Like, they're, I think it was the end of season one, or the end of, I think it was the end of season one, where... Rebecca comes to him after the shower, he's completely naked, and you think they're going to have sex, and then they just hug. Mm -hmm. But first shot of season two is them naked in bed together. Mm -hmm. And the way he undermined her when she was trying to cut that deal in his absence. He was
0: trying to pull, because the whole subtext with that is that his Amish family, because of his mother dying... And a lot of other things, him stepping up to help the community, they've kind of decided to embrace him back in conversation. And I think he was seriously considering taking a step back from the life. So he was trying to kind of shut down, you know, not start any giant gang wars and all that stuff, which hurt her. And she saw that as a fundamentally weak move. And you know, that's an interesting discussion, whether she acted in his best interest or not.
1: I mean, sure. But those are conversations to be had in private.
0: She, I of mean, course. he
1: just you know, cut her down in front of these people. And right. I I just
0: but she was also losing the sexual battle between the the, the earth mother that was taking care of his you know, mother Kai's mother and you know, she had to act out and, and the way she did.
2: You're yeah. talking about Brock's wife, Emily? Yeah, yes. Brock's yeah, wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh the you know, other... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go but ahead
2: yeah, on the the whole Brock Kai thing, I I mean the whole um Kai Rebecca thing I think is problematic because we don't actually see it develop. Not see them have sex or anything. It's just like she comes to live with him and then like you said, you cut to the next season and they're intimate, you know, yeah. and then I, I didn't really get that at all. And as effed up as Kai is and as damaged as he is, that didn't seem to make a make sense to me for his character. No. And
0: I Yeah, his character is immoral and kind of um, or maybe amoral, but that's not the right word because he does have a pretty strong, oh. uh, you know, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a, he's an Amish boy. So like, yeah, he does have sex outside of marriage and he does, by the way, kill people. But, you know, I feel like there are lines that he wouldn't cross and fucking your niece is one of those lines.
1: Yeah. Like I could understand him being twisted enough to, enjoy Rebecca watching or walking in on him getting a blowjob or peeking through the door while he's having sex with another woman. But to have sex with her, I mean, it just, that seems to mess up the power balance.
2: Plus, it just Mm -hmm. doesn't work
0: with his whole Jesus tattooed on his back and, you know, setting up an altar and trying to always... Yeah, you know, I don't, you know, to what end? Is he trying to work himself into heaven? Is he trying to avoid hell? I don't think he would.
1: Well, I think we got an answer to that at the end of the season when he destroyed his prayer room.
0: Right. But, you know.
2: Yeah, but, but this is a guy who's been struggling with his past and struggling with wh- who he is, right? I mean, he reacted in a way to hit the strictness of the Amish upbringing by going, you know, it's kind of like that silly reality show about Amish kids and when they go on Rumspring, they, Rumspringa, yeah. right, they go, they go the opposite end. They, it's a completely reactionary, uh, you know, thing that they're doing. And then they come back to the fold, right? They kind of work it out, they get oh, it out, and then they come back to the fold. Well, Kai, he's, he, he's been working it out for 20 years.
1: So I just don't <laughs> right. Well, what, With you saying that, I don't understand why he would be equally as strict on Rebecca. She's trying to do the same stuff he is.
2: Well, see, I felt like he was trying... In what way is she doing the same... Well, I mean, she is, but she's making very rash, not very smart decisions in that way, too. Right? I I mean, she knows what he wants.
1: Right. I was going back to the beginning uh, when Kai found out that he was sleeping or she was sleeping with Lucas...
2: Oh, right. Like that I right. understand.
1: But, you know, then she wants to have a relationship with this boy, just not even for her own pleasure. Maybe it was just to get the attention of Kai. Because exactly. they came in and killed him. That's the
0: thing. Like, his, but, his thing is all about control. And when she was dis- displeased with him, she would act out to remind him that he can't control her. And then he would have to overreact to be like, yes, but, I can.
1: But she mm-hmm. does that because she wants <laughs> him to control her? Mm. <laughs>
0: I don't know. That's that's a good that's an interesting question. Whether does she secretly want to be controlled and does he secretly want a a wild and free spirit that he can't control even though his life is just such such a life of, you know, very regimented and right. very businesslike and very carefully restrained except for select moments where he kind of lets it out.
1: So, uh maybe Kai goes back to what do you call it, the Amish community? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, and it seems like Burton and Rebecca are building something.
0: Uh, what Burton? So Burton, I'm, I'm presuming doesn't have a dick. No, Burton is is no. Is I'm not like talking a about doll. a
1: romantic relationship, but you know, they had a lot of fun uh, playing chicken with that band together. And sure,
0: but I think seems Burton, like it's going places. I think, okay, because I, I think Burton, she's definitely on his shit list. He thinks he's she. I think he thinks. That she is a direct threat to his boss and, more to the point, his relationship with his boss. Mm. Because Burton has got some kind of... I mean, we got a little bit of backstory on that, but he's got uh, some kind of life debt thing that he thinks he owes to Kai Mm. for saving him from this sadistic situation that we just really don't fully understand at this time. Mm -hmm. Right. But probably involving the loss of his member. (laughs) Um,
2: Wow. Before we get too far down that track, I want to say this about Rebecca. I'm not sure Rebecca knows what she wants.
0: She's
2: just a a kid. And um, most of the time when kids act out, like Deva, they act out for attention. Sure. Right? And she's lost her family. And now Kai's the only family she's got. And he gave her some attention and then he backed away. And so, you know, kind of like a petulant child, she did things to act out that would get his attention. But
1: I think she's... But in this last season, I think she's grown up a lot and she is a lot more business-minded and less trying to act out.
0: Well, but that's the well, latest... Well,
1: then, then Kai undercut her in that deal. So it's back to that whole right. thing. But
0: and I go back and forth with Rebecca and the actress that plays her. Is she a really good actress or is she a really bad actress i honestly can't tell
2: you want my opinion it's, yes i i think it's uh i think it's more the latter i think it's, she's she, she's unimpressive to me as an actress okay. um i think she's fairly one note she's kind of got this like you know sad pout do you guys watch the 100 at all no, no. The lead the lead actress on The 100 has the same face for the entire second season. It's just this kind of sad, pouty, uh, you know, kind of thing. And uh, Rebecca kind of is that, that way for me. She's really one note.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's good at um, being young, petulant, and wearing short dresses and high heels.
0: Mm. <laughs> she does wear those high heels. Yeah. Uh, another problem I had with this season is up until Chayton broke Siobhan's neck is I was totally on the Indian side. I was totally on the native American side. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, it's pretty clear to me that Lucas was always in like always going up to the res and busting heads with no, even the flimsiest legal pretext, which is understandable for his character. And, uh, just completely trampling on these people's rights, one hundred percent of the time, and I, you know, and, and I thought that like Chayton was kind of had this like nobility to him that somehow got lost halfway through the season, and he kind of played a stereotyp- stereotypical savage character.
1: It seems like a lot of them were taking advantage of this of the fact that the police outside of the reservation couldn't do anything.
0: Well, that's what that's and what the, the cops who were busting heads and I- illegally trespass passing no, on. I'm not crap. saying he was in
1: the right, but the police force on the reservation, they weren't doing anything at all. Mm. But I don't think Lucas was in the right to go in there.
0: No, I just like thought it was interesting that they I thought that they were playing that a lot more nuanced than, you know, Cowboys and Indians essentially, and then at the end they kind of devolved into that and I was I was a little disappointed.
2: Mm. What about Peyton? I think they do that with all their characters, though. I mean, you know, people starting off with somewhat noble intentions. I mean, that's kind of a trope in and of itself, is people starting off with noble intentions and then going crazy with it, sure. you know? And uh, I, you know, maybe it's just because he's Native American that you had a problem with it.
0: Well, also, like I said, I think that uh, <laughs> the fact that it, it just felt like the early interactions with the reservation, it just seemed like the banshee police, the sheriff's department was completely in the wrong. Everyone was taking great pains to tell us that, yo, no, you're totally in the wrong. You can't do this. And that they were kind of doing it anyway. So I don't know.
2: Yeah, but it de- Plus, isn't that the definition of hood? <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: true. That's true. <laughs> Plus, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm kind of generally a fuck the police kind of guy. So.
1: And he's not even a cop, really. That's the thing.
0: So <laughs> no. That's the hilarious thing. The The subtext behind all this is that he doesn't have any authority to do any of this stuff. Mm. But well, uh, I don't know. Where do you think how uh, I don't know what you want to talk about uh, other than this stuff. But where do you think we are left with at the end of the season? You know, we talked a little bit about hood secret agents and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. where, where do you? How do you feel that, that How do you feel the show's leaving us with uh, Carrie's husband die- dying, uh, with Joe being abducted?
1: Um, real quick. Oh yeah. The heist at Camp Genoa. Mm-hmm. I didn't get when we were watching it that the money was stolen by.
2: Oh, to begin with.
1: What is his rank? The general.
2: Major. Wasn't Major.
1: It? Yeah, I didn't realize that that was money that he had stolen, and then he had this whole f- his whole camp.
0: Well, I'm not sure that I understood that right too. But we were having a discussion, and you're like, uh, "That's the government's money," and I'm like, "No, I thought that he somehow stole that from co- covert counter terrorist ter- counter terrorist operations. Mm-hmm. And that was money." earmarked to go to like the warlords in Afghanistan and to buy off local officials in Iraq and mm-hmm. he's just been siphoning this some money and, and stashing at this abandoned base. Is that that's accurate? the way I understood okay. it, yeah. Okay.
1: So he's got all these soldiers helping him hide this. Mercenaries,
0: money? I would think. They're oh, not... so
1: the entire camp is rogue.
0: Yes. Yes. That that book. How do that... they get
1: away with that?
2: Uh the, I I I I interpreted the storyline. This is interesting that we all had different takes. <laughs> on uh, I interpreted that, that he was there decommissioning a base that he actually had a legit job, Okay, but that he had been stashing this money at this base in a secure safe of his own there, uh, that that wasn't part of uh, that. He, yes. He had stolen the money from his current, his previous uh, jobs, uh, uh, abroad, mm-hmm. but that he was in the process of decommissioning this base, and that they, they at some point, were going to have to do something with the money, uh, but that you know, I thought that the, the, the base uh, being phased out was going to be a problem for him, and he was going to have to do something with it, but that's why I thought he looked like an attractive target to hood because mm-hmm. he had stolen the money to begin with. Yeah. I see. How, so
0: the other thing I wanted, to,
2: that doesn't mean it's right. Though. No. All right. We obviously, all, it's it's all like a, different it, it day. feels
0: like it's a Mad Libs, pro, you know, plot. It's like insert your own adjectives, nouns, goals, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so go ahead.
1: Um, just the fact that they're in the military at all means that someone outside has to have the attention or this has to get their attention. So I find myself asking the same question I ask of it end of every season um how the hell do you get out of that first it was the fbi and then you find out the fbi agent was rogue and nobody really knew about it so he was good to just die in a grave in the uh-huh. middle of the woods but with them taking job mm-hmm. i i just don't see how lucas could get out of this
0: well and and how job gets out of it really you know like how are they going to find these guys i mean they're a hacker that can find that's Job is a very useful plot device because anything that you need done, he can do it and it's fairly plausible. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that he's gone, like uh, if you were trying to find any other person, it would be Job sweating over his MacBook and talking Mm -hmm. about how hard it is to do this. But he's so good and he's got these files and here's a CCTV feed that's showing this and that. With him gone, I, I mean, Lucas is kind of an idiot. Uh, and I, you know, is sugar sugar going to be pouring over Craigslist, and you know, doing Google searches or Bing searches, or that's the, that's the IE's installed as default on his laptop. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to crack this case. I All think right, so here's that my That might theory. be why they introduced Hood as super secret, awesome agent at the end.
2: Here, here's my here's my two cents. Okay, is I think you have to look at who potentially took Job. Right? Um, and I think it's Dalton who Job and Hood were both working for. And so Hood Dalton. doesn't have to find Job. He has to find
0: Dalton. Who's Dalton?
2: Dalton is the guy who was um, – so in the Job-Hood flashback.
0: Ah, that's who Job – so that's that, who – sit okay, and, and Dalton is the guy who was torturing Hood? Correct. Ah. Oh.
2: Right. Th- th- so, Job's there was, a
0: graduate of that same program, which uh, which explains why he has, He also has the insane combat skills. Exactly.
2: Mm. Uh, exactly. And cool. that that's how they that's how they originally met. That's how his identity was white. That's their that's their original connection. Gotcha. Right. And so, I think that's who took Job, and I think that's how jo- Hood's going to find him. Is he just has to find Dalton.
0: Yeah, I could. I, I'd buy that if he's got a personal connection to the guy. Then I'd buy that hood can run him down. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I thought it uh, was uh, just some an- anonymous army geek that was going to sell him to the highest bidder or whatever. Hmm.
2: No, see, I think Dalton's got these kind of um, Jason Bourne guys everywhere, and uh, can that this hacker guy who's been tracking Job has been tracking Job. For Dalton, mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's who is I think going to be the big bad for next season is Dalton.
1: But if they yeah. had if they had Job in their program to begin with, wouldn't they know who he was already? Because Job isn't his real name; it was his adopted internet name.
0: Yeah, but if he did the, you know, uh, men in black style, delete everything, including file photos and fingerprints, then knowing who he is doesn't really help you that much.
1: But wouldn't Dalton know what his face looks like and what his real
2: name is? And Maybe, maybe not.
0: Yeah, I mean that's we don't really know Job and Dalton's relationship. We don't know that Job is his real name or Dalton is his real name. We know for sure Lucas Hood is not Lucas Hood's real name. <laughs> Which do you think? So where where are you on the camp of do you want to know Lucas Hood's real name? I hope I never find shit. out. Yeah, right. so Cecily's actually would be actively annoyed if they if they reveal it as a secret now because I like it that you know the the way that they shoot around like him telling Siobhan his real name and. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a there's a lot of good stuff about that.
1: Wouldn't his real name have been in the place files that they delivered to
2: Siobhan? No, because Job wiped all of that prior to that.
0: And he's like he's he went in and like in the first episode replaced everything about uh, Hood with the whoever not Hood is. (laughs) Um, The other thing I want to ask you is like how far into the series were you when you realized that the credit sequences were subtly changing between each episode?
2: Uh, pretty early on, okay, probably like the third or fourth episode.
0: As a guy who was uh marathoning it, I think I was halfway through season two because I was like fast forwarding, mm-hmm. and I I, I think it was I was having an argument. news was like, I think that sometimes we see the rabbit children and sometimes we don't, and you're like, no, you're crazy. It's always the same.
1: No, and, I would never say that. I knew from the beginning oh, that well, they changed. fucking
0: with me is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, oh, now
1: that sounds uh, like
0: Cecil. The lock
1: combination <laughs> changes every season. It's the same throughout the whole season.
0: Is it? Yeah, because I thought the lock combination was slowly counting down.
1: No, it just it's a different combination for all three seasons, but oh, it's the same one.
0: Interesting. But like the you know that like I like the touch of the army guys ring and like his bloody finger. Yeah, out. how it like, kept getting nastier and nastier. The other thing I didn't know Until for halfway shadowing. through season two, and I don't think you did either. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that there is a five to fifteen second seconds stinger at the end of each episode mm-hmm. oh
1: yeah and we missed so many and I,
0: at some point i gonna have to go through the max go app and watch the last 10 seconds of every goddamn episode because mm-hmm. some of those things are really cool
2: yeah, yeah they, they're really clever
0: like the the chayton uh, floating in the bayou with the crack with the alligator swimming underneath him that was cool
1: mm-hmm. uh chayton he's a hard man to kill
0: Yes, he is. Speaking of Terminator,
1: I don't even think he's really dead. I think no. he's. I think he's pulling a Rasputin right now. Well,
0: if there's a show, <laughs> he's going to come if, out if, of the river. If there's a show that could bring him back, Banshee is that show. <laughs> I'm yeah, kidding. well, half his head's <laughs> gone. I mean, <laughs> I don't really I, think that. that
2: that Gus Fring moment was pretty good. That was one of the redeeming parts yeah. of this sh- that, that was- episode for me because I, I thought the New Orleans episode, aside from the Muay Thai, you uh-huh. know, fight sequence. Uh, most of that episode I thought was pretty lame and cliche. I, I think it's because New Orleans, as a location, is kind of lame has, and cliche. Yeah, well, it's been done yeah. and it's been done better. And, you know, the minute they move to a known locale, you know, I, I think they've got to. They've really got to raise their game because it's going to be something that we've seen before. But what did you guys think? All right, I I'll throw a couple back at you. What did you
0: think of the? I just want to. Say, before we move on, I want to say that yeah. I did. The reason I I like that episode is because it was evolving Brock in his relationship beyond uh-huh. just a one note, openly hostile. Like you know, I'll get you one of these days when I figure out what the hell's going on in my own department. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. it, it it kind of moved towards something that's more of a. I guess a brotherhood. Um, but anyway, go on, go on with your, uh,
2: Wait, you know, about Brock, uh, I heard last week in an interview that he was supposed to die at the end of season one. And the, the creators, it's kind of like a Jesse Pinkman thing. You know, the people who made the show liked this character so much, they gave him a little bit more and a little bit more, and they decided not to kill him at the end of season one. And, uh, uh, and then he thought he was going to die again at the end of season two. And he's like, you need to give me something more in season two. So I can stick around for season three. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of this uh, uh, extension thing, you know, um, I always find stories like that kind of fascinating about what their original plan was to do with the character. And then the air, er- the actor takes it to such a compelling direction or such a compelling way that they decide to give him more. I mean, that, that really speaks to how organic and collaborative I think the process is, and these unintended things that um, that come out of the collaboration of so many talented people. But yeah,
1: sure. uh, I like well, Brock's character. Or I like Brock. I like Matt Servito. I like as his Brock. beard. Uh, his he has yeah. a nice trim the, beard.
0: The 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 bald head, midnight black beard is is an impressive combo. Uh, <laughs>
1: but I do find him to be unnecessary. I like it but I do see why he's unnecessary. He didn't have to have Emily be his ex-wife for Kai to fuck the nurse. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It just... But I don't know. I
0: I kind of like that. (laughs)
1: Lucas didn't need him to go to New Orleans with him. He could have done that by himself. We've seen it before.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm fairly certain the only reason they made it that connection is so there'd be a plausible way to put Kai in danger and then have Lucas have to ride to the rescue.
1: I see. They just need someone... For Lucas to give his badge to every season, say, This is it, I'm done. And yeah. And then take it back to somebody. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they also they, need they've somebody. killed
0: everybody else in the Banshee Police Department. All you got left is now uh, a retread from the res and a neo Nazi. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't toss the badge to the neo Nazi.
2: Well, I, I, you know, Servito's real role on the show is he's the one in every scene going, You can't do that. Cops <laughs> don't do that. Right. Yeah. That's, he's his, the that's his job. He's right. the he's, audience. Well, he's the moral conscience, supposedly, you know, but I don't think the show really needs a moral conscience. (laughs) All right, so a couple of throwback at you. What did you guys think of the introduction of the neo-Nazi
0: cop? You know, I I first thought it was super ridiculous because he's like, you know, I'm working on having my tattoos removed. I'm like, Well, oh, how about the fucking swastika on your face, Jackass? Is is that is that medically impossible? I mean, maybe start on your face and work your way down, but I'm like
1: Or get some makeup maybe, just supply a little yeah, foundation. Yeah. <laughs> just tone it down a bit. I've seen dudes wear in Starbucks scarves. wear
0: like a band aid over their, you know, a hula hoop earrings and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think you can you can do something about the swastika. Uh, but I don't know. The guy, I, I I thought he brought an interesting kind of intensity to the role and mm-hmm. kind of um, uh, some kind of uh, energy to balance Hood out eventually, perhaps. Uh, but I am worried about his one man campaign against his fellow neo-Nazis. I don't know, um, because like when Brock stopped him from the physical altercation, I'm like, what are you talking about? He just assaulted his officer. I mean, that's enough to like mount up with shotguns and machine guns and kill the whole building full of them. And now suddenly it's like, whoa, 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 what? This is Banshee police. This is Banshee Sheriff's Department. We can't just lay hands on civilians. (laughs) Um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think his arc is going to be really interesting next season. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't think they killed him with the blowtorch, but maybe they removed all those tattoos for him and left him horribly disfigured. And now he's got a new purpose.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he was covered in those things. Yes, he was. So he's going to have third-degree burns over, like, 75% of his body. Better than swastikas, I guess. <laughs> uh,
2: well, I, I mean, I, I feel like they brought – they had to replace him with somebody, right? It had to replace Siobhan with somebody, right? Yeah. And, you know, to it, you know, grow the force a little bit. But it just seemed like, uh, you know, story-wise, he didn't have as much purpose, um and maybe this is a like you said it's a long game for season four but if Hood's going after Job and has to leave Banshee why are you putting more roots in Banshee and the Banshee storyline?
0: He's coming um, back. He's got to come back to Banshee. I mean, he's, but, he's but not- why? Job's not in Banshee.
2: Yeah, they have to go on a campaign to find Job. I maybe get
0: that, but they're going to find Job and then Carrie is in Banshee. Uh, his. It, Unless it,
2: Carrie goes with Hood to go get him, she's got
0: mm, mm.
1: she's got one, maybe two kids left. I don't know. I think that little boy died from an asthma attack. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen him in forever. <laughs> uh,
0: no, I, I, I it, they've got. I mean, to, I mean, they've got to come back to Banshee, or else the show's not Banshee anymore. Oh yeah, I mean, just like fucking True Blood could never escape from Bon Tom. Uh, Banshee is never going to get away from Banshee because there's no place on Earth that's cooler or more interesting than Banshee. I mean, where else can you find an Indian reservation with a casino butted up against a, a thriving Amish community? <laughs>
1: butted up against a, Na- a Native American reservation? Uh,
0: but, well, I already said that. But oh, I thought up you ag- said the casino. Well, I... Yeah, that's the two go together, butted up against the uh, 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 white Aryan National Brotherhood, <laughs> butted up against a whole bunch of dumb fuck, inbred white folk, like Harlan, har- throw Harlan County in the mix, too. And that's that's Banshee.
2: Yeah, uh, and you know the guy who played Bunker, I thought did an amazing job. You know, I mean that that whole his whole sequence in in Tribal in the uh, assault on the the cop precinct was, I thought he was one of the best parts of that episode. I agree. Um, I
1: found him very genuine from the very beginning when he was mm-hmm. sitting on the steps saying that he wanted to join the force. <laughs> And I know how I may look to some people with the speech prepared. Well,
0: then right. when he gave the speech to, was it the mayor's assistant who is the. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh,
2: she's like the well. DA or the assistant DA. Yeah, Because when, when she, she
0: was like not having it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Right. You know, she's 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 a black lady. And mm-hmm. there's this, you know, super white dude with, <laughs> uh, you know, falcons and swastikas and all that stuff on and lightning bolts all over his body. And she's like, yeah, f- whatever. But, you know, that speech he gave about what he came from and what that group gave him and, you know, how false it turned out to be, I thought it was actually strangely moving. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And her response, you know, her story was, you know, equally. Sure. With, I mean, that was that was the kind of surprising moment, you know, inside of all of that uh, assault sequence, that siege um, episode, which mm-hmm. I thought was uh, you know, in a normal season of Banshee, that would have easily been the standout episode. But, you know, there were quite a few uh, incredible episodes, I thought, this season. Okay, other other question for you is, uh, what did you guys think of, which I, I thought was an incredibly ballsy move, kind of inspired um, a little bit by the S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and some of the things they did. But when they flash back to the pilot, um uh, in the black and white sequence where ah. they go back to when Hood came into town
0: and reimagined it as if he just blown through.
2: Yeah, but with the same actors and uh, I, yeah. it was incredible because they didn't use the same footage. They reshot it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: And yeah. so it was it wasn't exactly the same but it, I went back and rewatched the pilot just to compare and I I thought that was a it, it's surprising moments like that that keep me coming back to the show you
0: know yeah i mean that's the thing like banshee is all about the superficial thrills but it does have unlike a lot of shows of its ilk it does you know if it's a throwback to the 80s action adventure it's got you know the the balls of like a commando Mm -hmm.
2: um,
0: but it's got kind of like the surprising depth of a first blood you know what i mean like, if you yeah. haven't seen First Blood for a while, you watch that and it's like, wow, I forgot. Like, this is a genuinely good movie <laughs> on top of being, you know, a, a, an excellent action flick, too. Um, and it, you're right. It's like you'll uh, every once in a while I come across uh, not even every once in a while, like on a fairly episode to episode basis, the quieter moments have you kind of, you know, I know you said at the outset that you don't like any great life mystery or, you know, any any uncovering any secrets of the universe. But. I do think there are some startling moments of really shrewd storytelling and, mm-hmm. and, and they really nail the emotional beats. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the action mean anything.
1: Exactly.
2: Well, I mean, I don't think this show, um, this show knows it's, it's BTV, right? And that's all it's mm-hmm. trying to be is premier prestige BTV, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, B movie, you know, um, uh, Mo Ryan has that great uh, article about a year ago on the be movification of TV right and these shows that um, that are really you know great hotel shows. they're just uh, fun, but I think it's trying to be the high end of that. and the moments that you're talking about that we've been talking about are those that that make it a cut up. Yeah. right you know that that take it to uh, next level like this could have been an incredibly cheesy show uh you know i think in a lot of regards but um yeah in every opportunity but, but I mean, yeah, yeah but it but it doesn't i mean i think it plays so well within its zone mm-hmm. right it it knows what it wants to be and it and it is that it doesn't uh, it doesn't really its reach rarely exceeds its grasp.
0: I mean, you compare that to like The Walking Dead where yeah. what it is, the gap between what it is and what it thinks it is, is pretty wide. Banshee yeah. knows what it wants to be and also frequently exceeds even that ambition. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you love it rather than just be like, OK, whatever. Mm hmm. What else we gotta talk about, Banshee, because I don't have no idea how long we're gonna end up talking about the, the jinx.
1: I think the only way that this show fails is in the character Deva.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well the shows better than Banshee have struggled with teenage characters. And she just I think she's terrible acting. She yeah. uh is she bucks the mold of being interesting to look at because she just like you people got together and made that. I don't. I don't see how that happens. I don't see how that happens. <laughs> how that happens. Um, and she just. Uh, I mean, you know, it's endearing how much I guess she cared for her brother. But I have. Yeah, yeah, I have very little use for her.
2: Well, it doesn't help. Look, look. I'm going to cut the actress uh, a bit of slack. It doesn't help that they give her these annoying. Look at me, attention getting you know tight moves. I mean, that's never attractive. that's sure. I don't care how well you acted most of her sequences she's meant to be annoying, and she is yeah, right mm-hmm. and, and so that's the problem with a lot of those teenage actor roles is they don't get to do many things that are compelling. Uh, unfortunately, they just have to be asshole teenagers. And, <laughs> Spoiler
1: alert, teenagers yeah. aren't compelling. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I was listening to your Justified cast earlier today, you know, and I, I think an interesting comparison is the the gal who had her Mags moment. What's Loretta. that character's name? Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, uh, it's Loretta King. Gerilyn Deaver.
2: Yeah, Loretta. I mean, okay, so that actress, I looked it up, actually, after your cast. She's 18. Holy and, shit. Yeah, right. And uh she she was given some nice things to do this season. I mean they put her opposite Sam Elliott and I thought she held her own pretty damn good. Oh
0: yeah, and that makes her season two turn incredible because she was like thirteen. Right. Wow.
2: Right. And and but they're giving her some compelling Caitlin stuff to do. Is her Oh name. Caitlin,
0: I said Geraldine. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that's the girl that does the Picasso show. <laughs> yeah. <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> Got my Devers mixed up. <laughs>
2: But you know, I mean, that I, I think that's kind of, my hope is that they
0: don't give her more to do,
2: because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind like of with, a with you.
1: Fatal drug overdose, or <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, or she Otherwise, takes out her both and her Carrie
1: book. and um, Lucas are tied to Banshee because now he's in this point where he wants to be something to Deva, but only when it's convenient to him. Yeah. And Carrie for that matter. I mean, that's
0: the other thing. He blows out a Banshee for parts unknown uh, just a few episodes after kind of re-double-downing on his I'll-always-be-here-for-you-Deva moment. And yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. It's like Hood and Carrie are both way more interesting when they're unfettered. Yeah. And I don't, like, I don't need to see uh I don't need to see a long-lost kid out of sugar. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of heartless. But yeah, her having a drug overdose and the other kid died of asthma would be the show. Makes so, the show tragic. so
1: tragic. So <laughs> tragic.
0: But that's the thing. It's like I did – by the end of the season, I did feel like they really plowed the road for – a full-on Carrie Lucas alliance at this point.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean that's they yeah. they were kind of meant to be from the very beginnings. So. But
1: at this point, I'm not rooting for it anymore. No,
0: I I totally. I mean, I'm still bummed about the Siobhan thing. I thought that was I was, uh, yeah, I was full-time shipping that. Yeah, me too. Oh,
2: well. yeah. I, I don't think I, I think they paved the road for Carrie and Lucas to get back together, but I don't think it's as a couple. I think it's as a as business m- relationship. It- Exactly. Or just to go get Job. You know, Uh, I mean... I don't i I really can't see them because I mean really, who wants to see that? nobody wants to see these two get together again. I mean that was just insufferable all that pouting he did for uh-huh. you know half of season two. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, you know I mean he tried to fuck the pain away right. and did, did a pretty good job at it that's, you know that's another get-
0: thing that's an ongoing source of amusement for me, like the countdown to hood beds, whatever woman shows up on screen because it's <laughs> other than his daughter which you know with kai and his niece he can't really put it past yeah every single warm-blooded double x chromosome that's that's stepped on through the screen he except, has gotten down with
1: except for the hot um
0: mayor's assistant
1: well her but he's never had much time with her i was talking about the hot uh police officer from the reservation oh you're
0: right uh, well he didn't get with four.
2: noah either what he didn't get with
0: Nola either. I know. our throat was No, yes, out, he did. But... Nola and him fucked for sure. No, no they didn't. Yes, Nola. they did. No. I'm when? pretty sure they fucked in season two. No. Nope. No. Really?
2: No, you're wrong. Yeah, we just oh. outvoted you, Aaron. Come
0: yeah. on, man. Maybe,
1: Speaking maybe, of maybe Nola. Maybe that was
0: just a dream I had.
1: They had, for a brief <laughs> second there, they had set up that Nola and Carrie would have a cool, badass girl, girl, yeah. girl, whatever. Uh-huh. It seemed like it was going to go somewhere because she saved her from that one guy.
0: So who did Noel have sex with? Because she for sure had sex with somebody.
2: I don't think she had sex with anybody. No, the only time you, you saw her semi-naked was in that flashback uh, when she was ODing, right? And Gino and uh, Chayton went and rescued her. That's the only time
0: I recall her ever not, not being in badass mode. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, okay. she's all
1: leather motorcycle gear.
0: I'm 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 watching a YouTube video called Banshee Nola and Hood hot scene, and they are. Oh, most, damn
1: it! They did they are totally she, fucking. Oh, that's right. When she first came, very first came into yeah, the bar. Banshee. She walked in the bar, had a couple drinks with Lucas, and she was like, "Okay, let's go have sex now." Having, oh no,
0: shit! They're having yeah. that. They're they're having that. Uh, you know, Cinemax hot uh, sitting up in the bed while you're having sex. Sex.
1: Yeah. Are we gonna watch this? One?
0: Wow! We just got uh, schooled. I mean, hey, man! Don't don't ever go against me when there's a sex <laughs> scene on the line. If there's if there's nudity.
1: In all fairness, ninety nine point five percent of the time you are
2: wrong,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but not when it comes to nudity. Um, okay. So, what else we want to talk about, Banshee? Are we ready to move to Jinx? Um,
2: I think like got one got thing. Oh. Okay. Uh, have you guys been watching the Banshee origins? Um, thing they've been doing online. It's uh, welcome to banshee dot No, no. Uh, okay, welcome. I want to make sure I got this URL right. It's welcome to banshee. Yes. So um, during the season, uh, each week they were releasing a like five minute video that was a backstory on one of the characters, oh. like uh, Siobhan, or you know, that's uh, some of them are extensions of previous storylines and flashbacks that we've seen in other seasons. And uh, they just, after the season finished, they um, compiled all of this into something called Banshee origins saga, which it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but it's uh, two, you can watch it on YouTube. It's two 30 minute uh, things that, you know, go together. They're just in two parts and it's, Lucas's entire backstory uh, that takes you right up to him coming to Banshee. Mm. Except, except it doesn't give away anything really new. It just gives you more detail and um, uh, gives you uh, some interesting stuff with him and Carrie uh, back during Rabbit's days, um, Rabbit's organization, and how they came together. And there's some interesting... Um, Really interesting. Uh, um, gah, so many names. I always forget them. Uh, Job. Some good backstory on Job that's in there too. Just so. what we
0: thought. We all we got all cut up with all the TV. Now
1: we got to watch the end of all of these episodes again yep. and the origins.
0: Yep.
2: Well, you know, I mean, what do you think the budget of this show is? Because I, you know, I every time you that's read an question. interview with somebody on the show, it's like, well, we got all these budgetary constraints, so we got to be clever and do all these things to cut corners. But it just looks like so much money on screen. I don't know how they do it.
0: It does look amazing. But then again, you it's know. It's all the same set pieces. k syrup and red food dyes cheap. Uh, yeah,
2: but I mean, that tribal episode budget had to be ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that, the, the the one where they do the assault on the precinct.
1: Oh, the caddy, yeah.
0: Did it? Yeah. Because, like, you know, they got the one set and... I mean, what did they do? that was so impressive in that they like shot holes through through corrugated metal. I mean, what? What?
2: Why? Did well, they, they had to a build an entire set to destroy, huh. right? Because that thing was toast at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just looked. It looked. I mean, it's not Game of Thrones expensive, but this show. I mean, its first season. I looked it up before the cast. It, it, the first season it averaged 700,000... Uh, 700, viewers per episode and in the second season it got up close to a million which is pretty respectable numbers I would yeah. think mm-hmm. but um, you know we're not talking about it they can't, be, they can't have a huge budget It's uh, not like this show gets you know. a lot of
0: critical I mean I guess it has this it felt like this season the it became kind of a critical darling but it for sure doesn't get shit for like you know any kind of awards or recognition outside of that oh yeah you never see yeah. it advertised outside of the Cinemax you know ecosystem
2: yeah and Cinemax stuff isn't on Amazon or Netflix or you know the only place you can get it's on Cinemax right yeah.
1: they don't even have a Max oh no I'm sorry
2: no, I'm mistaken uh,
1: something else
2: yeah no I mean unless the HBO now they come out with a Cinemax now where people could you know get Cinemax a la carte away from the cable companies but yeah. Uh, I, I think that's why you don't hear more about it. I mean, you know, I, I watch, um, I look at look at the reviews on a number of shows, kind of recapping, you know, seeing what's out there, uh, you know, for critical opinion. And this show, on average, only gets about twenty recaps per episode, whereas like Better Call Saul's getting about one hundred twenty to one hundred fifty re- oh, yeah. reviews per week. This yeah. show's hardly. It it may have gotten some critical attention this year, uh, but it, it's not getting the play at all, like, you know, the other critical darlings out there.
0: I just noticed that, like, um, I first heard of it, like, in season one because Alan Seppenwall was on Bill Simmons' show yeah. and he was talking about Bill. Uh, he was saying, like, you know, these are some shows you need, you know, you, you, what, what's on next that you should be t- paying attention to. And he was talking about, like, Longmire and, um, banshee was the ones that stuck out in my mind and i'm like i'll have to give banshee Mm -hmm. a shot and then second season i think he did like a season preview and maybe a season wrap up but this one he him and dan were both talking about on the podcast and andy greenwald was repping it on uh a Grantland podcast with bill sayings and like it just it kind of it felt like it exploded on the scene for me for me and i'm like well hell i'm gonna finally watch it now i gotta catch up the next one uh i gotta catch up on strike back because I've seen enough of that show to know that I'm going to really like it, but I have only seen like four, three or four episodes total.
2: All right, I'll give you the, the shortcut on Strike Bag. The first two seasons are really good. Uh-huh. The second two seasons are a uh, step
0: down. Holy I hell, I thought this was like the third season.
2: No, I, I think, but you're talking, this was a combined uh, like British Uh, Cinemax Uh co-production this wasn't all all funded by Cinemax Uh and so it the seasons are shorter right it like the first season Mm. I think is only like
0: six episodes it's more like a Sherlock Holmes type of deal or a Luther type of deal
2: yeah not quite that short but shorter yeah okay yeah but it's good it's good in fact it's so creepy because when I first started watching Banshee I thought the lead in Banshee was the same guy as the lead in Strike Back. I mean, they look so similar. Yeah.
0: They're stamped from but, the same mold for sure.
2: Did you know
1: that Anthony yeah. Starr is Australian? Fun fact. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you see that on, he's as strong as fucking interviews. But he does so good with just that. With the five or six lines he gets an episode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, a few words. Yeah. Lucas if you
1: it. just have to, with your tight lip, just angry delivery, then I guess. That's
0: what I told uh, Jim that I was going to start doing. Like, anytime someone tells me that I'm wrong, whether they're right or not, I'm just going to glare at them for about 15 seconds and then stomp off. Because that's the thing. Like, uh, Job <laughs> can
2: dress- punch a tree.
0: <laughs> yeah. Job can dress him down and be completely right. And then, like, you know, uh, Brock can dress him down and be completely head up his ass. His reaction is the same either way. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. like, it's so, it's so great.
2: All right. Well, uh, you know, I mean, if he had more character, that might take away from other characters. You know, it's true. almost like his blandness. Uh, to me, I think he's very bland. I mean, the, the blandness and one dimensionality of it allows for dimensionality of the characters around him.
0: He's the yeah. straight man essentially that everyone else plays off of
2: yeah kind of in a way you know i mean he's 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 fairly one note i mean um but you know he's pretty so i I'm, <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess that's his appeal other than that dent in his forehead i swear to god half the scenes he's in i'm staring at that big divot you know what? In his i'm gonna go
1: i'm gonna have to go back and watch because i never noticed
0: i did i noticed it's like a v-shaped deal right
2: yeah, it's it's right above his eye. I mean, just he's got he must have some kind of weird protruding bones that create this divot in his in right in his forehead. It's, it's a soft
0: spot as a child. It just never uh, fully just formed. Him. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he's
1: yeah. usually covered in like blood or like sex sweat, so I just don't notice the dent. <laughs> oh,
0: I have one more question, and I swear to God, we're going to move the DJs. What is up with his the band the the, the arm brace on his hand? Yeah, I was having and... this
2: discussion with somebody else on Twitter earlier. Because that's just
0: a – like, uh, he heals – uh, he's like Wolverine. Everyone on the show is like Wolverine. But he's been rocking that hand brace for the better part of the season. I, I don't get it. Is I that a real-life injury that they're covering up? Because I imagine yeah. these guys get beat to hell on the show.
2: It has to be. I mean, every one of these actors has has uh, a story about how they effed up some part of their body on the show. Yeah. Mm, uh, but... Interesting.
0: <laughs> they're, gonna, they're gonna have like the career of a professional wrestler. I swear. Um, okay, let's talk about Jinx because uh, I feel sorry for you if you haven't watched it by now because it's increasingly hard to have real life not spoil the events of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I I've never felt
1: how familiar were you with Robert Durst and his story before The Jinx?
0: Me personally, I was only v- vaguely aware of it from uh, a couple Saturday Night Live skits back in the day. Okay. But I didn't really... I wasn't... You know, I'm not a true crime guy. I didn't really follow it. This was... I was kind of a blank slate. What about you,
1: yep. Shane? Me too. So
0: I, I didn't
2: know anything about the guy. Uh,
0: the last 10 minutes of this show, I've never seen or heard or felt anything like it in my life. Like... Uh, I it, it 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 get me you know like the first time you see Paranormal Activity, like it was that kind of like shocking. Oh my god, uh, what the hell is going on? Except for it was real life, and it's just incredible.
1: Yeah, I felt the same way that I was watching him act when they caught him. Like he did the burp, and I thought I was going to throw up. I had my hands over my <laughs> face. I just, it was just. I've never seen anything like that.
0: Yeah. And the, the whole build up, like I thought it was pretty brilliant that they spent the whole episode talking about like their feelings about cuz you know, I'm not a huge confrontation guy, but something like that is a whole such a whole other level of social uh not awkwardness. I don't even know what you would call it. Um
1: bravery? I mean, to, Yeah, like to,
0: you, you know it's like it's like um When you see the local troubleshooters like burst into an insurance company with their mics and their cameras and they're shoving at people's face and that's kind of an awkward situation. Even though that guy is bad and needs to be got, it's just such a violation of the social compact uh, to be that kind of rude and abrupt and and tricksy.
1: Well, you put it so elegantly – they have spent all this time befriending Robert Durst and getting to know his story and making him think that this is his story he's telling. And then to just confront him with that at the end, it was just.
0: And then like, I don't know about you, Shane, but like I was through the second or maybe third episode. Like I could go either way on this guy. He Mm. seems pretty guilty. But when I see the things he says and I see kind of like the weird effect he has and how he's just yeah the way he explains it, and he's kind of like you've got this very art artful artless tactless way of explaining things uh that made me feel like that he doesn't even see the need to lie or to put on a face. I was starting to get kind of sucked in, and then right around the end of the third episode, things stopped adding up, and then you know it climaxed with like, mm-hmm. again I think the greatest ending of a documentary i've ever i've ever seen where we're, how how did you feel like where well, when did you become kind of convinced of his guilt?
2: So I, you know, my experience it's kind of like those people um that didn't listen to serial, you know, until after the entire thing had run. Yeah. You know, I, I I came to I just binged it last night and this mm. morning and uh so I knew the big ending was coming. Uh. And so uh the the kind of curveball effect that it had or whether there was There was or wasn't, you know, um, was he, wasn't he guilty? I knew, uh, you know, a a little bit about the ending by the time I I finally got to watch it. That's a shame. You know, I I kept expecting. So have you guys seen The Staircase? Uh Uh-uh. Okay, so you got to watch The Staircase. It's, um, it aired uh, about four or five years ago on Sundance, and uh, it's now available on YouTube. And I can't remember how many episodes it is. It's like eight or ten episodes. And uh, it's, a, it's a very similar kind of documentary about a guy who um, killed his wife, and, or did he. And uh, that case, unlike this one, it, well, kind of like this one, is still in the courts. And um, it, it's a guy who kind of had <clears> – <throat> who was suspected of killing more than one person and uh, that he was close to, his wife and, and some girlfriend and uh, – um there are moments, though, in the series of episodes where you you really are doubting his guilt and you go back and forth, kind of like on Serial. Who mm-hmm. did it? Was it Adnan or Jay? Adnan right. or Jay? Right. You, know, you go back and forth in the staircase and in this one, I didn't it didn't strike me as there was a compelling case that he didn't. Um, and but it was it was more about what this guy was going to reveal about himself in this arrogant move. I mean, he was the one who solicited this this documentary, right? Right, right. You, you know, and there's a certain amount of uh arrogance and that kind of elite wealth, right? That Not uh sure. that he showed very early on in the in the documentary. I thought, but God damn, that guy is creepy. Yeah. He's just he exudes creepy and more so than you know, a lot of the uh, documentaries, although the guy in the staircase is pretty creepy, but not this level of creepy. I mean, his I eyes were black.
1: He was more. He, he was had more dull, sympathetic.
2: Eyes like a doll's
0: eyes. I think yeah. he was more
1: sympathetic in present day because he was an old man, and just the way he yeah. said, the way he explained himself for all of these situations, it was like, oh yeah, of course. But then I see the pictures of him when he was younger and just like he's got the same dead-eyed look in all of the pictures.
2: <laughs> yeah, what about he's total that do- sociopath? My wife and I were commenting on the hair last night when we were watching mm-hmm. it. She goes, "What's up with the door the explorer haircut he's got?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just thought that was yeah. a great. He had the weirdest set of haircuts and uh, I don't know. I you know, the thing that I was most impressed with in the documentary were how the reenactments were done, yeah. Um, which at first I was like, "What are we doing with reenactments yeah, in this thing?" But I, th- I thought they were actually really well done.
0: I was uh, the same way. I was like, "This, this feels a little bit too produced," and I feel like I'm being railroaded. And w- eventually, we were. But I, I liked, and I, I saw a lot of criticisms about just that. Like um, this guy took a sequence of events instead of like the serial model where it's just like, this is going to be more or less how I discovered this case. Mm. He took all this information and then presented it in a certain order to get the maximum kind of emotional and dramatic effect. And I'm like, good, good. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he assembled this stuff into the most compelling way. But having such a smoking gun at the end of it, I don't see... I mean, how else are you supposed to do it? You're supposed to just be like one hour. Hey, I found this letter and it's pretty damning and he's certainly guilty. I just don't get the criticism. Now, there's I think there's a lot of ethical concerns here that um, is going to be interesting to see this like like this is going to play out for months, man. Mm -hmm. All throughout a year, like with the new trial coming up and all this stuff, it's going to be very interesting in a voyeuristic type of way to see how this unfolds. But
1: it's incredible. The lack of police work that was done on him initially.
0: Well, that's the thing that annoyed me is like a lot of these prosecutors and policemen like came across as seriously sour grapes because, you know, I get it. You're against a guy with an unlimited budget and some of the best lawyers in the world, but some of the stuff they showed from the courtroom just made them look bad. Like when they were trying to do, they're trying to reenact a murder, and Robert is essentially turned into the the two old dudes from the Muppet in the balcony, just kind of mocking the performance. And I'm like, oh, oh, how did this look in your guys' head when you thought this out as a as a cross examination point?
1: But that case works. I mean, that got him acquitted. No, that's I'm what I'm to... saying.
0: The, de- the 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 prosecution was the one that was on the cross examine, making uh, themselves look like right. f- goddamn yeah. fools. Like, how and, did you lose a case where a guy dismissed... And it's like, how did they only bring the charge yeah, of murder against this guy? Like I, you, you saw the interviews
2: with the jurors, though. The jurors are the ones that came across as insane to me.
1: Well, oh, but, yeah. But the thing There's is, one guy who was maintaining his innocence to this day. Well,
0: but it, yeah. I can see that if you... I can understand that if you didn't see the documentary and you haven't thought about this for 10 years. But, I mean, they were asked to find whether he was guilty of murder... And that was the one thing that was kind of questionable. Like, isn't there other charges, like dismembering a corpse, uh, disposing of a corpse? illegal? I mean, it feels like... Yeah, that's um, a major oversight. Yeah, they just charged him with murder, like, yep, we got him. And I thought that, like, you know, they got, hell, they got Al Capone on tax evasion. Usually I see these cases, and they just are, like, you know, brought up every single thing they can be charged with, like... Texas, I'm pretty sure it's illegal to dress as a woman. Throw him on that, you know, (laughs) throw that onto there. Just like, just pile it up on him. You
1: know what I thought was particularly creepy about his bathroom confession? Oh. Which is interesting. They go there
0: because I had heard, I'm like, Shane, I had heard that there's this big bombshell revelation. And so I was smugly sitting there when they were showing him the letter thinking, oh, that's it. I was unprepared for the bathroom scene.
1: Yeah, me too. I thought he was going to admit to writing the letter. Um, is at one point in the bathroom scene, he said, what are they going to find in the house? And they had already looked through the old lake house where that woman currently lives. It's like, what is in there hmm. that he's worried about? That's what comes to mind when he's in the bathroom thinking about being caught.
0: Well, the only thing is I'm of the school of thought that I don't necessarily think that that is a slam dunk confession.
1: No, it's, I think it's inadmissible.
0: Right. Well, not only that. I don't know if it's inadmissible or not, but I just feel like that. Watching the whole documentary, you kind of see that that's kind of a thing that he does. He has this weird narration; he's got this golem complex where he's talking mm-hmm. to his. Precious.
1: Oh yeah, he's imagining a conf- or he's imagining a conversation with yeah. someone else. Well, yeah. what did you do? Oh, I killed them all, of course. Yeah, right. the, the, so I don't to think me, that was... the
0: the letter is the smoking gun, but that right. was just. I do think that there's elements of that that seem confessional, like when he says, "You've been caught." Oh, that's it. You're caught. That's yeah. it. You're caught. Like that seems that's you know a lot of people like, "What did you do?" Well, if you killed them, of course, that to me is not the confessional part. The confessional part is like, well, here you are. And when he said, like, almost in a sexual way, I want this. Like, I kind of feel like that that's correct, because this dude seems like he's been hell bent on getting caught. Mm. Um, and then he has second thoughts and spends a, t- a couple hundred million dollars to get out of it, but, like...
1: Yeah, like, he went to f- California to avoid seeing, uh, Jarecki, uh-huh. and he kept putting him off and putting him off, and then ultimately came around.
0: Well, he got arrested for something, and then I think But he that, didn't
1: have to come back, and... I
0: get it, but that kind of got his blood up, and, like, stealing a hoagie, you know, right? that's that's a dude that wants to get caught.
1: hmm
0: Um... Yeah, yeah and, you still and, had access to and all sending this money. the cadaver letter in the mail. That's a guy that just wants to get caught. Yeah. And now it's like that thing that was the the interesting kind of creepy moment to me is that has his all oh, I want this, you know, in the bathroom. Mm. I don't know. Well, I was... I, I, go ahead.
2: I, no, I'm sorry. I I, I think that. You know, kind of like to Cecily's point, I don't think any of what he said in the bathroom to himself is going to be admissible in court, but that's really besides the point because the court case will all rest on the letter. Yeah. You know, I mean, but, you know, and the forensic evidence taught, you know, the comparisons of the handwriting and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, the thing that I found the most compelling about the documentary was the stuff about his childhood. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, that that just... I had to pause several times, and just I was kind of blown away by how damaged this person was. Yeah, from I mean, look, from, from his. I mean, not. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm sympathetic to his current day and the choices he oh, made, no. but man, the stuff he must have endured, um, you know, and. And the, the pain that he went through and obviously never really dealt with appropriately, mm. uh, you know, and then all the other stuff that went on in his family growing up, uh, you know, I he struck me as a as a child in his adult form in sure. adult form sure. throughout the whole documentary. And when they show the stuff about his childhood, it made sense to me. This guy is is emotionally stunted. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, if you look at his f- pictures of his father, his father looks absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And for his father to pull him to the window at night to watch right. his mother kill herself—that's—I mean, he didn't have a—he didn't have a chance. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Well, and and how fucked up was that wife of his that they they were interviewing? Um, the Deborah, uh, yeah. I believe, was her name. Uh-huh. Man, she was and those those um, jailhouse conversations where yeah. she she just mm-hmm. sounded like he was she was his mother, yeah. you know, and he was a little boy and one of you know tell me what to do and I, I don't know that that he grew up to be a um, an an abuser and uh, an overall asshole from all accounts mm-hmm. uh, you know and then a murderer and all these things you know these are all. To me, this is all um, an expression of a very damaged uh, individual who never really got the help that he needed. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I found uh, parts of that documentary to be incredibly sad, and I sure. wasn't expecting that. Right. You don't normally get that in such a compelling way.
1: Yeah, and to be passed over for the uh, the whole company, for his younger brother, mm. who he tried to
2: kill maybe twice. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing. So, I want to talk about the ethics of this situation. I, and honestly, I'm, I'm yeah, I don't of, understand your point here. Can you I'm, explain it? I'm kind of bored about because I, a lot of people are talking about ethics in the sense of oh, well, what if this guy, you know, now this stuff is going to be admissible and in, inadmissible in court, and they they they've bungled this part of it. And I think it's interesting. Like, I can totally see a scenario where somehow this information, because of the way it got uh, brought to light. Is going to screw up the criminal case, uh, and then like everybody, How so? kn- huh? How so, man? I don't under I don't trust the legal system, and I th- and I don't know because I've seen very what strikes me as smart lawyers arguing both ways. Because I'm friends with a few attorneys, and I as a layperson, I don't know at what point someone gets treated like a police agency and at what point, you know, stuff gets thrown out as, you know, it's, it's in the public eye and it's too prejudicial. And how are you going to find a jury that's unbiased at this point? And, and how long, like, like some of the mechanical things are interesting. Like how long did Jurecki sit on this information before he gave it to the police? Because he's saying I had, my lawyers are saying I couldn't give it away right away because that would screw up the evidence. But on the other hand, like if it turns out that he killed another person in his year and a half, Mm. that, is going to be interesting how the public deals with that cuz right now it's like here you're getting all the adulation and everyone's talking about you for awards and you know inventing a new category of Emmy so you can win it but you know if 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 by making this the best most compelling release that he possibly can endangered people in the population or delayed justice that is kind of an an interesting ethical dilemma, or if somehow because of this thing being sensationalized, or because the evidence, uh, you know, going through these in hands, and like you know how the chain of custody was, or whatever. Again, I'm a layperson; I don't understand this, but mm. there's. I think there is a potential, some potential problems here. Um, I think that's going to be interesting to see how this piece of entertainment it could possibly you know, shape this guy's trial and, and maybe give him a way to we wiggle out of it one last time. I mean, I don't even know what, what the media does, what the people do. If something like that happens, because everyone's got this opinion now.
1: Do you think there are other people that he killed?
0: That's, that's something we debated right after. It's like, I, it would not surprise me because it seems like everyone that got into his, you know, like when he was ready to throw you away or whether he, he thought you were a threat to him, his first instinct was to murder you.
1: Yeah. He said in the interview, he said, oh, they think that this person killed uh, Susan Berman and uh, dozens of other people or something like that to uh, that effect, which makes me think that it's not just those three.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you- that's all speculative. I mean, sure. there's no, there's no real evidence. And whether right. it's three or five, uh, you know, I, I don't think is really the point. We just need the guy off the streets, you know, and that we, that we haven't been able to do it, even in the admission, even in the, the instance where he admitted he did. That's the thing that still blows me away is that, that case in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I mean, how in the hell did, did that get messed up? I wish they had spent a little bit more time on that, uh, even though I think they answered it pretty well. Um, damn, I mean... Yeah, it seemed pretty cut
1: and dry, and that's the problem. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's... there's um, Well, what I think is immaterial. I mean, you know, I, I do think that, that it's possible, but... I that he gets off for this, for this murder as well. But I I think that's pretty thin. Um, but damn.
0: What do you make of the fact that apparently Jarecki was sitting on this foot? I mean, it's not apparently he, this footage has been in existence for a year and a half. The police arrest him the Sunday that this thing premieres and everyone says it's, you know, like I, again, I haven't, able to keep up with everything as much as I I wanted to I read a bunch of shit on Monday morning but Mm. man the narrative was so fluid at that point where like people were saying that they, they, they had the letter footage but they didn't know they had the bathroom footage until like a week ago and that's like a hasty ad and I'm like oh come on uh, that's bullshit i hear that that actually now is yes that was that was some kind of erroneous report or whatnot but it, it's it's indisputable that he was sitting on this information for a year and a half
1: and it's indisputable that he has just recently canceled all of his speaking engagements that's the other
0: thing he said he was he had a full court media press that he was going to go off kind on of like this victory lap and like after three interviews in the monday morning he canceled all further appearances Saying that, you know, he can't say anything because it might jeopardize the case or because whatever. But mm-hmm. it suddenly it was interesting that this guy is now in the Robert Durst seat where now mm-hmm. he is having to think real carefully about what he has to say. And he has to measure every word and he has to have lawyers say, oh, really, you can't say that. You know, the, I. That's I think that's the... The metadrama going around this is, you know, interesting. And like you said, it's going to be something that is interesting for years to come.
1: I think this mm. Andrew Jarecki. This has been his life's work. So I think he'd be more than happy to go to jail for it. I,
0: that's that's one way to look at it. I mean, the man worked, I heard, seven years pretty much nonstop well, I, on this. And he made the All Good Things movie prior. Right. Have right. you seen that movie? I have not, but yeah. Have you, Shane? I haven't seen it,
2: no. Yeah, but I, I, I did see the documentary that he was known for before capturing the Freedmen's. Have you seen that? No, No,
0: I haven't, but I I read a Grantland piece by Molly Lambert where she was talking about that. And she said, it's, it's interesting that, you know, he's kind of, you know, blown up over this because she said that the, I, I guess that documentary is much more serial style where it was just a meditation on the justice system and, you know, much more uncertainty and doubt. And there was no, smoking gun, I got a little flack on Facebook because I said this is the show that Serial Bull wanted to be. And I didn't mean that to impugn anything that the people on Serial, but they just got, you know, had the misfortune of doing all this work and research and just really uncovering no new information. Well, uh, This guy just hit the jackpot.
2: Yeah. I, I don't think Serial's goals were anything nearly the same as the goals of this particular documentary. But with a lot of these things When you go into it, you don't really know what you're going to get on the other end of it, right? I mean, he said he put. I haven't done as much reading as you have, but you say you put seven years into this. You don't know what you're going to get year one, year two, year three. You don't know when you commit that much amount of time into doing an investigation that you're going to get some smoking gun at the end. No, you know, Uh, and it's
0: uh, it's like a winning the lottery. But still, I mean, I mean that's the thing. Like, I love. Yeah, but st-
2: you don't go into these things
0: hoping to find a smoking gun. No, mm-hmm. I don't buy that. I don't. I don't buy that. The uh, what's her name? I think How-
1: you go in there hoping to find it, yes. but not expecting it.
0: No, yeah, well, sure. But you're, you know, like any journalist that's going and in investigate something, they gotta be saying, "Oh, I don't want just to be this kind of very." Um, uh, that's a very cynical point of view. As, you, as somebody who really spent 10 Sa- years... What's her name? Sarah Cohen? Uh, the Coen? caning. Sir- you really think that she went into this investigation thinking that I don't want to learn anything new about this case or have people thinking about it a different way at the end of the day? I,
2: I didn't say that. No, I, that's I, different. I said that Between a smoking that, gun. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't think she's going... I don't think every journalist's goal when they go into one of these investigations is say, "Oh, I hope I find the smoking gun and I solve this."
0: Hmm.
2: Because Do you 9 think, did times out they want that to turn end, up
0: some new information.
2: No, yes, absolutely. They want to reveal as much truth as they can. But the idea that you're going to find the smoking gun that, you know, the cops hmm. and everyone else, lawyers, all these people that did investigations for how many years are going to reveal that that that's setting yourself up for an enormous amount of failure and you're going to invest what? one, two, three, five, ten years of your life and maybe never know the answer. You have uh-huh. to accept that very early on. Uh-huh. You're just hoping to reveal some truth. And what Caning revealed, I thought on serial was, uh, a number of different truths that had nothing to do with whether Adnan was guilty or not. Right.
1: Yeah. I think her intention was to shed light on the case. Uh, to prove that it had not been properly investigated. And she gave us a lot of new information. I think she was hoping for a conclusion, but she was never able to make up her mind about innocence or guilt.
0: Hmm.
1: And hey, I, I don't think,
0: know. I guess I was, uh, I thought I was kind of turned off the last few installments of serial. that I, you know, it felt like it. And then, you know, that's not their fault, but it felt like it petered out and ran out of steam. Yeah. Because that's the way these cases kinda of go. And I thought that this Jarecki guy just got insanely lucky that, you know, oh, yeah. he, he, he was didn't... handed a story on a silver platter. Now, again, silver platter defined as years and years of work.
1: Yeah, if they and, didn't find and, the letter or get sure. the bathroom confession, then this would have been a terrible documentary. <laughs> sure.
0: Well, it would have been it been it would have been interesting, but it wouldn't have been the phenomenon that it is now has yeah. turned into now. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean there's a lot of people uh, I saw. I think. Uh, I think it was Greenwald on Grantland talking about how this was fitting that this debuted in the True Detective times the, the True Detective slot, and that he actually preferred it to True Detective uh, on every level. Which I I kind of quibble with that, but it did go. It, it was of a piece of True Detective, even down to like the interesting credit sequence. Yeah. Um, and it's just interesting that real life can be at that compelling. I don't
2: know. Yeah, I you know I don't know. I I um I don't have trouble separating fiction from nonfiction in these things. I mean, it's labeled a documentary. This is supposed to be truth. Now, what what is interesting is how a documentarian can bend the truth to serve a story sure. in a false way. And I, I didn't really get a sense of that. Have, have either one of you got uh, seen the Snowden documentary? parts of
0: it we start yeah um what was that like two weeks ago we started watching that
2: yeah it was just on hbo and we caught some of it Uh, you know that one i i thought was incredibly compelling and this is a whistleblower story right you know um but it uh from a documentary perspective it was really just an interview in a hotel yeah Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, visually, it wasn't uh, terribly compelling to me um, and storytelling was. But this was a, a two hour whistleblower story. And there, some of it I thought was um, some of it I thought was kind of difficult to understand for the layperson. Um
0: you know, because are you talking about the Snowden okay the,
2: the Snowden documentary whereas this one I think is um, much more accessible and these true crime stories that um, that are like this are incredibly accessible mm-hmm. and that's what makes them so compelling I mean you know there was a There was a really great podcast about serial called Crime Writers Mm -hmm. on Serial that was uh, out of New Hampshire Public Radio. And these were people who write true crime and had reported on it. Uh, from various angles, some were prosecutors, some were reporters, and some were just pure fiction writers. And they were kind of talking about serial from all these different angles. And I'd like they just released uh, an interesting podcast about the jinx, where they're they're breaking it down and the staircase down as well. Mm. Um, uh, what's interesting, I think, in looking at it from the the reporter and prosecutorial angles is how easy it is to bend the truth uh, or to try and push the story in different directions and I thought that was what um, Sarah Koenig did so admirably uh, well is she did not really push one truth or another I thought she presented pretty compelling evidence um, uh, about what she thinks may or may not have happened in that day. The best truth that she could possibly put forth, and at the end of it, there still isn't a smoking gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right?
1: I agree, and I think that this the the jinx was very biased.
0: Um, well, it could, I was it could not be.
1: Well, I was hoping for more reasonable doubt, but from the very beginning, you could tell he went. Um, at the angle that Robert Durst is guilty, and see,
0: because that 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 seems wrong to me. Since uh, t- two hours and twenty minutes into the documentary, I was still like, "No, I don't. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know about this." I've-
1: but that was based. That was just based on what you saw of Robert Durst and his explanation of things. Uh-huh. I'm just saying that it was always the light that Andrew Jarecki shed on it was always that Robert Durst is guilty, and he was where he was, but he was lying and. It was kind of like that.
0: Well, but I feel like that if you know, serial had gotten a similar smoking gun in the course of investigation, Adnan was positively guilty. No, but that we wouldn't get as much of. Oh, this guy's such a nice guy, and I don't know if I'm being. But the
1: reporting, but she was doing it in real time, so all of the reporting leading up to the smoking gun she would have found was always no unbiased. She was giving us this testimony, and here's what she found about this, and how she.
0: I don't I don't think that anything other than the last two maybe episodes were actually something that had an ongoing investigation attached to it with serial.
2: Yeah, I think it's a bit of a fallacy that it was done in real time because yeah. she did like something like 15 or 18 months of reporting. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, what she was doing was producing the cast yeah. in real time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, OK. And well,
1: then I was mistaken.
2: Yeah, well, that was widely misreported and misunderstood. I sure. think. Sure. Yeah. Um, because uh, she was, they were cutting it week to week because they were allowing for the possibility of new things to come into the case. Because you, you know, nowadays you can actually do that, mm-hmm. right? You know, you can put out a podcast of uh, twelve episodes. That's three months. Right.
0: And it's mm-hmm. on Reddit and, and people from the, that's right. the high school are posting on there and former friends and bosses, employees and people are coming out of the woodwork. And yeah,
2: that, that's right. Sources came came forth that she couldn't get in touch with during 18 months of reporting. And she legit worked her ass off. That's I mean, right. but look, the jinx is a different kind of story, right? Mm-hmm. This is this guy is obviously trying going to the documentarian and saying, I want you to produce my story right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to tell my story my way. And Jarecki did an interesting, uh, he, he did, he said, yeah, okay, I'm going to need to be allowed to do some, uh, some storytelling on my own. and some investigating on my own. And Durst said, okay, fine. Uh, but the whole premise was that Durst wanted you to hear it straight from his mouth, right? Right. And yeah. it, what you ended up hearing was that his confession Yeah, his mouth, yeah. His that's mouth. right i do think there's a fair amount that he wanted he wanted that sure. I, I mean how old is he now so i think he's 72 70, right yeah. right i mean he's getting late in his years and maybe he, he he needs that that confession to to relieve um to relieve his suffering well I don't know. I mean, I, I've never been in those positions, so I sure, can't, right. you know, I can't really speak to it. But uh, it, I thought it was incredibly well done.
0: I did, too. And that's the thing. Like, I thought, you know, it was ex- extremely entertaining and informative and just, just with, like, you know, and this is just a trick. This was just the luck of the case thing. It just happened to have, like, a bombshell Hollywood Oh my Mm -hmm. God, I feel like the floor is spinning movement at the end of it. And, um, like I said, I'm, I didn't expect much when I started it. Uh, and I left it just like, just being blown away and trying to think of, you know, that's like a very unique experience I had as a television watcher. And uh, that's something I'll forget. And also some, like I said, I'm not a true crime guy, but I'm going to be following this case and see where it goes and, and how things end up. And, you know, how we feel about this as a piece of uh, mm. uh, entertainment a month, three months, a year from now.
1: And what uh, does this mean for the future of true crime. other, yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel like between this and Serial, my God, we are going to have so much stuff rammed down our throat, which I'm kind of like okay with, I guess. Yeah. If it's all well, this good.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if you think about it, how many unsolved questions cases there are out oh, there so many it's because i just feel like the police officers just don't have, with all the cases they don't have the time to do this in-depth kind of thing that yeah. sarah koenig and andrew jarecki is and, doing. and i was listening
0: to a podcast and there i guess hbo is wanting to do like another series of these true crime and someone they someone uh one of the guests on is like well how do you do that because this is something that he's worked for years on
2: mm-hmm. and it's
0: like well you know hbo being hbo i'm sure there are lots of cases out there that are actually being investigated by people for you know books and you know podcasts or Mm -hmm. what have you hbo's got the clout that like you know we're looking for an interesting case like this if you've got one contact us it's like you know a very high scale version of the uh uh you you know maury povey what is that guy like if, if you know some if, if you know conjoined twins who got um, married to other conjoined Maury Povich, twins, yeah, yeah Maury Povich. It's like a high class version of Mori Povich. Yeah. They're just they've got the power to kind of create this content on a whim because they'll find someone that's got an interesting case that they're passionate about and they'll throw money at them and help them tell that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, look, true crime has been around forever. Everybody talked about with serial, you know, oh, this is the, you know, birth of a new form of storytelling and a you know new form of uh, uh, a new another place for true crime to come and set down in because true crime is dominated forever.
1: Is it not? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. It's been around forever. Has it not? <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, you know, it, it's it's sort of like with. You know the early days of the internet and porn, right? You know, yeah. uh, any kind of any kind of new media tor- form of storytelling will get dominated by these kinds of stories in the beginning. Because, but it, you know, it's not like this is the first true crime documentary.
0: You no, know, but it's also true that like there's been lots of comic book movies before you know this, this, the remake of Spider-Man and X-Men came out and but they were successful and now we're we're up to our, our teats in superhero movies and um, you know you have uh, Star Wars is a hit and now you've got a whole bunch of, of science fiction coming out and Lord of the Rings is a hit and Game of Thrones is a hit and now everybody's trying to make crappy fantasy like I, there is a little bit of I, I, I mean it's not inventing the genre but I do think we are going to have kind of a glut of the market for of this stuff between podcasts and television shows and movies coming out. And some of it's going to be good and some of it's going to be bad, like zombies. Zombies have been around since, you know, George Romero made that little black and white uh, film, but you know, walking dead hits and now we've got iZombie and Z nation and like all this stuff, like,
2: you did know. you see i zombie
0: i have not seen i zombie oh god it's awful is it good because <laughs> i was worried that it was going to be something that i was going to have to watch because Sevenwall did like a full court press with uh you know interviews galore and all this stuff on his website and i'm like wow is this really a good show because it looks fairly schlocky but... <laughs> well anyway we've we've been talking almost two hours now we're gonna to have to uh I got to go to sleep, honestly. <laughs> uh, well,
2: let, let, let's end with two recommendations. One, if you like if you like the Jinx, check out Capturing the Friedmans. So that was uh, a 2003 right. documentary by Directly. Right mm-hmm. I'm,
0: I'm getting a lot of homework assignments from Shane on this yeah.
2: podcast. All right. <laughs> and uh, if you like Banshee, I'm going to throw out uh, kind of a. Old personal favorite of mine from my uh, teenage years here uh, it's a movie starring and this is kind of like Banshee you're going to say oh that sounds ridiculous actually stars Don Johnson
1: okay.
2: uh, of Miami Vice fame um, it's 1990 it was directed by Dennis Hopper and it's one of these drifter goes into a small town in Texas and um, pulls off a, a heist and it's got it's Jennifer Conley's first movie. Um, she was really good, and it. it's got lots of very creepy Harlan uh, Harlan County esque uh, Dewey Crow kind of characters in it. And uh, the the soundtrack is uh, spectacular.
1: So what's it called? Uh,
2: it's called the Hot Spot.
1: The Hot Spot.
2: Mm. Yeah. And uh, uh, anyways, if you like Banshee, I think you'll like the Hot Spot. So. It's, uh, that's an old uh, something from the vault there. I think that people will enjoy.
1: We'll put that on our list for the next yes. podcast we all do together. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you for responding once again to the bowman signal. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it it, 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 it flashing the sky, and you answered the call. Uh, no problem. Appreciate you coming on. Um, it's funny because uh, I haven't got Jim into banshee, but he is actually feverishly in the next room watching jinx he's trying to 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 get it all in as, as quickly as he can before he gets it any more spoiled so might have another mini take with him later on but uh, wait no i appreciate you i appreciate you coming on and talking with us
2: all right thanks for having me guys thanks, shane